my name is Amanda Van Annen. Join me and my co-host Chandra Lynn as we take you beyond the beauty myth and get face-to-face with reality. This show covers most topics every modern woman wants to talk about. Finances, relationships, wealth, personal development, branding, and how to find purpose and discover your true, authentic self. Hello, beauties. I'm here with my co-host, Amanda, and we have an amazing show for you today. I'm beyond excited for our show because we have one of the best dating and relationship experts of all time on the show. So I had been following her for years. She has lots of free content online, summits, and all kinds of things. And I finally got the courage up uh, many years ago to hire her personally as my relationship coach. Her name is Iris Ben-Ruby. And as I said, she's a dating and relationship expert. She's a registered psychotherapist and marriage counselor. And she's here with us today. So I'm super excited. Amanda, she's here. Oh, I'm excited to have Iris on the show because maybe I'll finally find the man of my dreams. I want to hear all the tips and all. She has got some serious tips. So everybody should actually get a journal out today to write in because it's going to get real. So she spent over 20 years professionally coaching and counseling men, women, and couples in over 16 countries to find true love. So she's interviewed, she's even interviewed Dr. Phil on how to get a good man. And she's asked Mel Gibson on what women really want. So she has a number one Amazon bestselling book. It's called Lonely and Single to Loved and Adored. And she also works with First Nations Indigenous on healing and complicated grief in the community. She's an inspirational and charismatic international keynote speaker. She's Spikes everything with humor, energy, and wit. I mean, she is fun and awesome and so knowledgeable. It got, Her rivers run super deep, everyone. And she shares her life with the man of her dream. So she's done this. She's found him. <laughs> He's got pretty <laughs> That's right. She attracted him using her own five-step process that she now teaches to women. So that's hopefully we're going to get some of those tips today. And when she's not coaching... She's a badass. She's riding her motorcycle, doing backflips on a trampoline, or riding in her pink two-seat convertible (laughs) next to that man of her dreams. So anyway, without further ado, I would love to welcome you, Iris. Iris Ben-Ruby to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited. (laughs) Iris hosts a lot of guests. She's an interviewer herself. She's even had me on as a guest once to her podcast. She's got, I think we did on, um, it was, about the pandemic and career pivots. And, you know, we've done some different types of content together, but she's a total pro. So thanks for coming on today and being our guest. Thank Thank you you. for having me on. I'm really thrilled. (laughs) So I did mention that I had followed you for many, many years. And over that time, I think you've really always stayed true to that kind of relationship and dating format. And then you've started to and especially through the pandemic, welcome all kinds of other content. So what is it that you're focusing on these days? What I love to work on is relationships, anywhere from my couples counseling, when I work with couples as a therapist, to teaching both men and women the skills that they need to get into a healthy relationship, because I've gone through it. After my marriage of 18 years ended in divorce, I was faced with a a real challenge, a real crisis. Who am I? I'm not a wife anymore. I'm only a part-time mom. My kids go half-time with their dad. And I really had to reinvent myself, understand who I am, 
And I went through many years of really not great dating. (laughs) So I had to learn all of this myself. And I decided, you know what? This is what I want to do for women. I want to do this for women and men to understand how not to get tripped up along the way. One of the things that I've always resonated about you is, and and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like your belief system starts with with going within, you know, and fortifying yourself. Is there anything that you can tell us about that process of, of being of being relationship ready as kind of a first step? Because I, I know that it seems so easy to just solve that problem by finding a man or whatever, but that, you know, there's some pre-work <laughs> that has totally. to be done. Because the truth is, even when you've got the man, the woman, whatever you're looking for, whether you're gay, bi, straight, male or female, we think that once we have the relationship, we're there. But that just starts another chapter of how do you negotiate? How do you deal with differences? So I call it the first two steps, the first two stages. First of all, you really need to love who you are, because when you don't really get what your gifts are and what you're bringing to relationship, you're going to tend to be the good girl. You're going to suppress what you need. You're going to not make any waves. And then over time, you're going to get resentful. And then you may blow up and say, you know, this is over. And the guy's like, where did this come from? I had no idea because you're keeping yourself down. You're not actually speaking your truth, being authentic, being fully self-expressed. That's the first stage. The second stage is to get really clear on who is it you need in your life? What would be in alignment with your values that would make life easy? So without those, what we do is we end up contorting ourselves. I did that for 10 years. Somebody picked me. It's like, okay, good. Let's see if we can make this work. And I would throw myself into it. But what I teach women, and this is just as applicable to men as well, you are the buyer. So when we go to the grocery and we see that whole shelf full of all the different milk, homogenized, lactose-free, almond milk, We're deciding which one we're going to invest in based on how does it fit into our lives. And it's the same thing with a partner. I find a lot of people out there is if somebody shows interest, it's like, okay, let's go with it. You need to sit back as both a male or a female and watch and get the information as does this person fit into my life? Do we integrate with ease? Do we have the same values? Are we compatible? Because when you have that, life is really easy. Wow. You make it sound so easy, like a two-step process, but just step one could take years. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going to say that it's ongoing, right? Even though I'm in a relationship, I'm still working on myself. So it's not like you've got someplace to get to. And when you're there, then you can start to date. No, because relationships are a container for self-development, for healing, for seeing how we show up. What are our triggers from childhood, our wounds? And I talk about trauma with a big T, people who had a big trauma, but we also have little traumas, small T. My small T is we moved to France when I was eight. I didn't speak French. They put me in grade one for two months, grade two for two months, and finally in grade three. Then I changed schools to grade six, but then we moved to Canada in grade six, and then I changed schools in grade seven. All of this taught me that it's not worth it to make friends because we're going to move again. And so that's a small T trauma. In grade two in France, somebody pushed me and the teacher knew it was me, pulled me by my hair to the end of the line. My mouth is open and I can't find the words in French to say it wasn't me. And as a child, I made the decision, I don't have the words to stand up for myself. What I was missing is two words in French. But I lived the rest of my life as though I didn't have the words to stand up for myself because it was true when I was eight. 
And until I did the work to shift that, I put up with a lot. I swallowed a lot. I didn't speak up a lot because I didn't think I had the words to stand up for myself. And I had to do that inner work to shift that belief that was true in childhood, but no longer served me as an adult. How did you connect that to that origin story? Because if you're Mm. playing that out over many, many years, and now it's starting to show up in your relationships, what is that process to go, wow, it was because of that. And now Mm. I can reframe or re- you know, work that? Yeah, that's a great question. So my training is I'm an Adlerian therapist. I went to the Adler School of Professional Psychology to get my master's in psychology. And what we do with clients when we're doing therapy, we'll take their top 10 memories from childhood under the age of eight. So if you think about today, there could be a thousand memories, like when you put your feet on the ground, when you brushed your teeth, when you slipped a ring on or you the shirt you chose, you're never going to remember those in 10 years from now because they weren't anchored in emotion. We have specific memories under the age of eight, which have created our reality, our beliefs that run throughout all our lives, unless we start to look at them and reframe them. So if this is a particular therapy type that you're, you're speaking of. Anyone can actually do this. Just go back and think of your top 10 memories under the age of eight. They don't even have to be the top 10. What do you remember? A specific moment and how did you feel? And it'll tell you what's the decision you made about that moment. I was finding it very interesting what you were talking about, because you were talking about two things, about authenticity and about trauma. And we talk a bit about that on the show, about how past trauma can affect your authentic self in the current state. And by you not being your authentic self, you therefore block yourself from finding the relationships, not only partnerships uh, as relationships wise, but also in work or friendships, you know, because you're blocking yourself on a lot of levels. And I think what Shandra was saying is once you've identified this trauma or how do you identify the trauma, obviously you would need help or you would need to get a diary out or something and write those past memories down and then try to relate them to what is going on in your life now. But what I found interesting about what you said is when we are looking for a partner, we should kind of know what we need. We should know what we need. We should know what we're looking for. And we should know what they can give us. But a lot of times, I feel like in today's world, a lot of us go under this false sense of we don't even know what we need because what we need is being shown to us on social media. It's being told to us. We read it in the papers. So we think we need that. So how do we really identify what our true needs are? Yeah, and I think that men and women have been socialized very differently as to what you can. So you ask yourself those questions. As a woman, I can, or as a woman, I can only. As a man, I can't. And start to fill that out and see what did you internalize from what you've been told. And then you start to question. You see on social media that you need to... I don't even want to mention names, but some of the, you know, the stars that are having certain body parts look a certain way and everyone's following suit. And it's like, is that what I'm, what is in integrity for me? Will that fulfill me? Or does it mean that I just belong? We all need to feel like we belong. And what social media is sells us a formula where we can belong, but often there's a cost. So we have to decide what's the cost for me to do this or to not do this? What's the cost for me to suppress my needs? What's the cost for me to not own my brilliance when it comes to my career? 
And I think that when we do identify our needs, then the second part of that is where should we look to fulfill them? Like at, at some point, there's certain things that we need to be responsible for fulfilling ourselves, right? Then there's things that we can expect from a partner. So that seems like a gray area. Is there anything that you can advise in terms of where it's healthy to place needs on a partner versus satisfying them on your own? Yeah, I think that's a really great question because there is no right or wrong. But what you want to do is, you know, if we talk about the cake and the icing, you want to be the cake. You want to be making yourself happy. You want your partner to be the icing on the cake and not responsible for making you happy, not responsible to make you feel valued in the world. That's your own internal work that you need to do. But things will get triggered and will show up in relationship. And so in a healthy relationship, you get to work on it together. You get to see how much your partner is willing to, I don't know if the word is compromise, but rather accommodate what you need as part of your healing. That as my partner who is securely attached shows up for me, it's like, okay, I can relax. Like on the few times that we've had disagreements, we don't disagree a lot, but on the few times I'm like, I don't want to talk to him for a couple of days. Like, that's it. I want some time off. And I'm going, okay, Iris, put on your big girl panties, get up there, talk to him. It's like, but I don't want to. It's like, come on, you got to talk to him. And then he's there already, ready to talk to me. So he is bridging and repairing. And what he's letting me know is that I am important to him, that our relationship is not at risk. And that even though we may have our differences, a disagreement, that he's always coming back to relationship. And for me, it's like, ah, I can relax into it. So that even one time, I don't remember, we had just a very small argument and I walked away and I thought, oh, I better get used to being single again. And I thought, where did that come from? I don't have a single piece of evidence in this relationship to show that it's at risk. That's the healing that happens because in past relationships, I was always gauging, is he there? Is this enough? Did he find somebody else? Are we going to make it? Did I say the right thing? Maybe I should have said it differently. And so as Wayne shows up, it helps me heal to go, okay, who I am is enough. And I, I want to touch on something that you said, Amanda, that's really important that when we have trauma, usually we're going through life just being our authentic selves, self-expressed, naive, and all of a sudden something happens and we realize that we can't be that anymore because that's risky. And so we put on this persona, we cover ourselves with a layer so that we can't be hurt again. So at one level, it's adaptive, it's protecting us. At another level, it stops us from being authentic. And when we get into relationship and we haven't been authentic, then this person doesn't really get to know us and we're always playing this game of keeping up our persona. This is who I relate to him that I am. And I need to keep that up rather than this is just who I am. And if you like it, great. And if you don't, I understand, but we need to move on. So another question I had is a very important one. We've heard about how we've got to work to find ourselves. And then obviously in the end, probably if we want to find a relationship, but when you go out dating and you're trying to find the right partner or the perfect partner, some may say, there's a lot of dates you will have that also have trauma that are not trying to deal with it. They don't know they have trauma. And if you said to them, what are your needs? What are the, they'd tell you things that, you know, are frivolous, like are not based on anything. How does mm -hmm. one deal with that in the world of dating? Because even though you're working on yourself, you're encountering a lot of people that are not working on themselves. 
Yeah. And I think that that's a really important question because if you are working on yourself and you have a partner who's not working on themselves, it's a lot of work. They're not aware. They're not paying attention. They're not conscious to what is getting triggered in the relationship. I'll give you an example. First of all, I think as men and women, when we're out there dating, we need to be assessing all the time. Is this person more or less where I'm at so that it makes life easy? Like one of my clients a couple of days ago said to me, she went on a date, actually six dates with this man. And she wanted to talk a little bit about history and his family. And he said, I don't like to live in the past. I like to live in the present. And so the past was off limits. And for me, that's a big red flag. There's either trauma there that he doesn't want to deal with, or there's some emotions that he's not willing to deal with from the past. Otherwise it wouldn't be off limits. And when there is something that's off limits emotionally, It means that you're not fully genuine. You're not emotionally available. And relationships only really thrive with two partners who are emotionally available and doing their work together. Oh, my goodness. I'm I'm reacting. I'm triggered by this. (laughs) Because a lot of, no, seriously, because a lot of my friends and I are all dealing with relationships where we're not wanting to have conditions of the relationship, you know, we want to, I mean, that are unreasonable, but we do want our partners or whoever we're dating to be doing their own work. And I created this diagram that's like, here's a circle for for me, here's a circle for you. But then when they overlap slightly, there's a middle area that where we're then working on us, right? But if you're not working on you, then you know, there is no us because it's like we we both have to be committed to taking personal responsibility. And it just feels like there's so many amazing potential relationships out there that are stuck or cannot move forward because one or, or more of the partners are not willing to do the work. Yeah. And that's a really important thing. And I think this happens more often for women than men, but it happens to both genders in that we fall in love with the potential of the relationship. And we need to get really clear. One of my clients earlier today said to me, but we have so much fun when we're together and yet he'd rather hang out with his guy friends. And when I talk to him about it, he says, oh, you're overthinking things. She knows what the potential is. And I said to him, and you also know that he's not willing to step into it. Just because someone has potential doesn't mean they're going to step into it. So it's really being honest with yourself like really down to earth, is this person willing to step up? We have different ways, perspectives, different thoughts, different beliefs. He may not agree with me on how I feel, but he's willing to create that space for me so that like, I'll give you another example. I feel like I'm full of examples today. Just an hour ago, I spoke to a client who, when she was with her partner, who was Middle Eastern, and they tend to be very gregarious, lots of energy. And when he got mad, he had all of this energy. And for her, she just shut down because her dad used to yell commands at the whole family. And so the work in that relationship is for her to say, you know what, when you get that loud, there's nothing wrong with it, but it triggers me. It takes me back to my childhood and I shut down. What I need from you is to just use a softer tone. It'll help me feel safe with you. And then she gets to see, does he step up or is he not capable, capable or willing? He has to be both capable and willing to step up to make it safe for you. Okay, Amanda, I can see it looks like you have a question for me. (laughs) Yeah, I have a question because that road you're telling me, people to travel, although it's the right road, it's the road less traveled. Because 
for your client, for example, she attracted that man because he of the similarities to her father. You know, because that's another thing I find that we do in life. We tend to attract situations because it's almost like we go looking for that trauma again. And when he does that, he triggers her. But I'm sure, I mean, I don't know this couple and he's probably got some trauma himself because it's a, you know, it's a Middle Eastern thing. His father was probably like that to him, to the family. His father was probably the, the man in the family and was like gregarious and all that. So you telling her, what you told her, which is correct. She has to be very brave mm-hmm. to like face her own trauma and the possibility that this might not be the relationship for her. Yeah. And I think that that's really what's at the core. We have to be prepared mm-hmm. to see reality in front of us and deal with the facts that we're getting rather than this fantasy of how great this relationship would be. If only he would keep his voice down or if he only he would fill in the blank, whatever it is. And I want to address what you said is that in couples counseling, what we know is we pick the parent we had the most issues with or a combination of both parents, not because we're masochistic, because we're still trying to heal those wounds from childhood through our partner. So in a conscious relationship with someone who's doing their work, someone who's emotionally available, we get to heal our childhood traumas through our partner. We don't need to go back to childhood or to our parents. I mean, it's, you can do that, but if you're in a healthy relationship, you can do it through your partner. And often that's a safer place. Is that called imago therapy or is that therapy, is that just what all therapies focus on? I think that that's a couples counseling uh, theory, but it definitely reflects, it is imago is just a reflection, right? I think part of imago is that person is a reflection of me. So why is it triggering me? Is it a part of myself that I've shut down? Is it a part of myself that... I hate about myself. That's also part of imago therapy. Yeah, I wanted to bring up these so people can research them. The other thing you mentioned earlier that I think is worthy of people looking into are attachment styles. You talked about your partner having a secure attachment style. And when you're feeling, for example, anxious, and then you meet up with somebody who's secure, that can help you be more secure. And I know that there's at least one more attachment style, which is avoidant, right? So you have avoidant, secure, and anxious. Are, is there? I think there's some other, other subtleties, but is that the, the primary? There's yeah, four. and the fourth one is disorganized. So you came from a family where there was a lot of trauma, and so you really want to be close, but when you get close, you feel like, oh my God, there's so much at risk, and so you push back. But then you really want to be close, but then there's risk again, and you push back. And you're oh, yeah, working- I think that might be me. I thought I was one <laughs> of the other styles, and now I'm going, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, hang on a second. Well, we have all three of the styles within us, which is secure. You grew up in a family that was responsive to you. You know you're lovable. You know things will work out. Anxious, you grew up with a family that was less responsive than 40%. So sometimes responsive, sometimes not. So you're always gauging as a child, can I go to my mommy or daddy or can I not? And as an adult, can I go to, will this person respond to me? Am I enough? Will they find someone else? The avoidant. So this is all about how we deal with, with stress in the relationship. The avoidant, when they're stressed, they just need their space and they want to push away. And they're highly, they're really proud of being highly independent because they grew up in a family where their parents weren't emotionally available. Either they had their own trauma from childhood or they're busy working and they haven't been available to you. So you learned a, it used to be an attachment style. We now call it a strategy, you know, since we did the, um, 
there was a meeting in uh, New York. We did the consortium for attachment. So it's a style now, sorry, it's a strategy because it's something we learn from childhood that we can change. And I'll give you a quick example for me. Somebody I dated more than 10 years ago, he said to me at one point, he said, would you like me to unzip my skin so you could get in? And I'm thinking, yeah, pretty much. That would be great. (laughs) (laughs) But that's me being anxiously attached, really needing to bond. And his like, oh my God, can I peel you off my body? And we often get into a relationship with one anxious and one avoidant. Two avoidants in relationship. Yeah, <laughs> two points. I, <laughs> I can so relate. I've actually, yeah, even had somebody say that they did want to be inside me. Like, I don't mean just sexually. I mean, yeah. like, they wish yeah. they could, like, yeah. mesh that much. Totally. And, that, and that scares me sometimes. Yes, because for you, that's suffocating. It's like, what's wrong with you? Don't you have a life? Don't you have your own interests? Can't you get your needs met somewhere else? And there's no right or wrong. It's just simply what you grew up with and what he grew up with. And we're trying to work it out in relationship. For everyone listening, I cannot tell you how much I've learned from attachment styles because you can make sense of all of your past relationships when you identify when you were the avoidant one, when you were the anxious one, when you were the secure one, and now with this disorganized. And when you identify that, you can have more compassion, you know, and know that it it does come from this wounding and that there are opportunities to heal. And just because maybe you're feeling anxious in response to one person doesn't mean you, you don't have the potential to be secure. Would you agree with that, Iris? I mean, that do we all have the potential to be secure or are oh, we totally. to? <laughs> that's, that's why I'm talking about getting into a conscious relationship with someone who's emotionally available. That's the healing we do to get back to a secure functioning. And I was going to say something really important, and I can't remember it, so we'll see if I get back to it. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I was thinking when you were talking about all that was I was thinking, you know, apart from the fact of one being brave, you also have to be, both partners have to be ready. You know, you (laughs) have to be able to know that I'm going to talk to this person about this, and there is the possibility of them not being there for me anymore because they might want to avoid that altogether and I think in today's world when people go dating I feel like intimacy kind of brings and ruins everything because sometimes I feel like if they were friends for a bit longer they may be able to bring up situations I feel like sometimes once intimacy comes in it, it just creates the whole it's back to normal. It's like, oh yeah, everything's working. It's fine. You know, like it's go. And they've never had time to get to know each other on a different level. Like if you're feeling disconnected and you just have sex and it's all okay, as opposed to going deeper into whatever's triggering that trauma and how trying to heal that. Yeah. So it becomes a compensating strategy. You're, you're overriding your emotions through sex. You're overriding your emotions through addictions. You're overriding your emotions through shopping So it's just a way to avoid dealing with what's there. And the other piece I wanted to add to that is that I find that couples often jump into bed too early. And the problem with that is once you become intimate, you tend to put on the blinders and not really see what's in front of you. You only see the good stuff. 
And so if you stay out of bed a little bit longer and really get to know your partner, and that was that was the gift with COVID, is that people couldn't get intimate so quickly and that they had to spend time getting to know who is this person in front of me. So the three L's, love, like, and lust. So the lust is there with the sexuality. What is it about this person that I love and I like before I get to the lust piece? That allows us to stay clear grounded and actually grounded in the facts. It's so interesting you say that too, because, you know, in the dating world, it's like, I've never been pressured to have sex, like, as in, like, threatened in any way or, you know, uh, but I do always seem to come with this feeling of a bit of pressure. And I don't know if it's self-imposed or if it's on them, but when they're attracted to me, I know it and I know they want to have sex. And so it's always this thing I got to contend with or like get you know, and manage with them and their expectations. I mean, seems like a lot of men are fine with, they would be happy to have sex on the first date. So it's always like up to me to go, mm-hmm. who are you? You know, let's wait and let, and, and be managing it. Do you yeah. guys? Yes, because yeah. it's a hormonal thing for men though. It's a hormonal thing, which is like, it's just a hormonal. Sometimes I feel they can't control it. And I do agree with, yeah, I do agree with Chandra. You're supposed to be the one to take the reins and just say, it's not going to happen. Well, it doesn't even have to be easy. It's not going to happen. It's like, I'm not feeling comfortable right now. I'm not ready. Right. And it's, I tell women, you you don't realize how much power you have. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of power in relationship. You just have to remember to use it in a way that is respectful and you get to guide the relationship. You know, that saying happy wife, happy life. It is so true. Truly men want their, a healthy man wants their partner to be happy. And so it's our job to give them the formula. What is it that makes me happy? We also have to be, I don't know how to say this. He has to have the possibility of being able to make you happy, right? You have to be able to receive things and be happy in your own life. Like we talked about the cake and the icing. You have to be have the capacity for happiness and that giving him the formula he can contribute to you. He actually feels fulfilled when he knows that you're happy because he's hit the bullseye with you. And so as women, we have a lot of power in relationships. We just need to look at where is our power and where do we abuse it or we don't abuse it. I've heard someone say, you know, you have to like if you give up that power too soon, they were referring to it as goddess power, that if you give it up too soon, then your power can be diminished. And I had a conversation with a man about this once. And he said, do I, after we have sex, do you feel like your power is diminished? Is there anything I'm doing to make you feel lesser than or whatever? And so I suppose that whether your power is given up too soon or diminished or whatever really has to do with you and your own boundaries. I think there are some women who can have sex on the first date and feel totally within their power and so, or it's maintaining their power. So I guess that's an individual journey as well. Well, and I think it's like, what are the stories that you've been fed both through watching TV, through your family? What are the, the stories on sexuality? I'll give you a quick example of we inherit conversations from our ancestors. So one woman said to me that a couple of her family members got sick and she said, just my luck, my mother will be next. And I said, that's an interesting way of saying it. Tell me more about just my luck. And she thought about it and she said, you know what? My grandmother always said the women in this family just can't take a break. And so did my aunt. 
And I said, so take a moment and just have a look. Is that the truth about your family? And she stopped and she looked and she went, actually, it's not the truth. But what was behind it is that her mother came from Eastern Europe where there was the ethnic cleansing and the wars. And so she ran away, came to Canada, and she carried the stories of being victimized where the women in her family couldn't catch a break. It was true then, but she passed it on from generation to generation so that her daughter would say, just my luck. And so we want to start to look at what did we inherit from our parents? What are the stories, depending on what race, what culture, what country? I'm Israeli from background. And so both my parents fought for the, fought for the liberation of Israel from the British, and they were really proud. And so there's this energy of we will protect whatever it is that we need. And so that's been passed down too. So we want to look at what did our culture but also, what, what is it that in our family, what did our family say that felt like normal for our family, but may not have been normal for everyone? And it's like women like us can never apply for this kind of job. A woman like me could never ask for a raise. So you just want to get clear on what are the unconscious inherited beliefs that aren't serving you anymore. Really, that's what coaching and therapy is all about, to discover what are you swimming in that's really not supporting you anymore and maybe even toxic right now. I would love to share with you um, to provide another example of that, something that I discovered in therapy, which was more related to not feeling like I'm a very ambitious person from a young age. And I just had this inside feeling of nothing ever being enough, right? Like, when is it going to, when am I going to be satisfied? When am I going to have accomplished enough, be pretty enough, successful enough, a good enough relationship? Like I said, I have this not enough syndrome and it's like driving me crazy. And my therapist at that time was astute enough just to talk about my family background. And we identified that I came from a generation that was a, um, one side that was depression era and they, where they lived through a time where they literally did not have enough, not enough resources. They were, their survival was threatened and that generationally subconsciously that was passed down in terms of feeling this feeling of security and enoughness. So like your example, that not enough thing was this theme that was running and it affected. And since we're talking about relationship, it was affecting my relationships, you know, it was affecting whether they were good enough, whether I was good enough, you know? And so, yeah, if you're finding yourself with some kind of theme or phrase or something that you're using a lot, the other one my grandma would say was that she wasn't first class, you know, and that I was first class, but she wasn't somehow like, cause I was born into a different time or into the family once I gathered more resources, but you know, yeah, that stuff can, can start very, you know, from day one with you. And, and so it's so ingrained, it's hard to know how it's affecting your life, but that is actually a block. So reframing that has been super powerful for me. That's beautiful. Because one of my own, I re recently had a conversation with my mom and she said to me, I realize that in this life, you need to be really strong. And I thought about it. And I said, first of all, my mother used to tell me all the time from the age of 16, Iris will turn the whole world upside down and she'll achieve what she wants. And I did. And the cost was really high. And what I said to her when she said that is that, you know what, I think that what we need to be in life is flexible. 
And she said, no, from my experience, you need to be strong. But you also need to look at what she lived through. She had to go through all the wars and the fighting for survival. And so her reality is being strong. I carried that for many, many years and pushed through no matter what. And I achieved, but emotionally I was exhausted. And so I had to shift that and reframe that, just like you said, Chandra. I think the important thing is we all have to know that there's, like, I feel like there's a price to pay for everything. There's a price to pay for finding real love. There's a price to pay for being authentic. There's a price to pay, you know, uh, for being successful in life, you know. And I might be calling it a price, but you have to be ready to let go of something is what I mean, you know. And sometimes it's hard because, for example, back to relationships, there's a notion for women that, oh, yeah, if you're not in a relationship, your life's not 100%. And then it becomes more difficult because in today's world, we it's almost like we have to have it all. You have to go get a job. And at the same time, you have to find this perfect relationship. And the ones that came before us didn't have a job, but they were in a relationship called perfect, which was not perfect either. So, <laughs> and it really takes like what Iris was saying, sitting down. And what I had to do is, you know, it's like exactly what Chandra said too, where you keep on thinking, when is it going to be enough? Oh, I need to do this. I need to accomplish this. Then I will have that. Then I'll find the partner. Then I'll do. So what I did to my, for myself is I just wrote down three things, three simple things that I want to achieve in life, like that I've already achieved, but I want to get better at or do this. It could, and they could be simple things as I want to take a course next week and do that. And I said, you see, once I do these three things, I'm not going to wait for anything. And there were three simple things else to happen. I'm going to find the person that fits into my life, you know, rather than, you know, just go on. And I, I've been through life enough to know that when I find that person, just through, I don't want to call it questioning, but having a conversation, I will know if we are on the right plane. And if we're not, I wouldn't take it personally. And, you know, I'll be able to let go. And I think a lot of times as women, we take it personally. So we think, oh my God, is this kind of feeling in us like, oh, well, if I let him go and he's so handsome or he's rich or whatever it is. And then we start a relationship that doesn't work. And we sometimes know from the beginning that it's not the right person for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you brought up something really important is that the, the, every decision we make has a consequence to do it or to not do it, to be successful in work, there's a consequence. To not be successful is a consequence. To be in relationship, there's a cost. To not be in relationship, there's a cost. We're all making our decisions based on the cost we're willing to pay. And often the thing we need to give up to go towards the goal that we want is the fear. Or maybe not even give it up, but just feel the fear and do it anyways. Right? And I think you said something really... Yeah, I'm going to leave that there for a moment because I've got something else to say. What was that reaction, Chandra? The fear thing, you know, when something about relationships can trigger so much fear. And it's interesting because, especially related to commitment, there are some people that are just fearless about committing, but they may not even be thinking about the consequences. Is it that some people just have the, because of past trauma or whatever, just are more aware and present about the consequences that they would be more fearful or, or, or be more reluctant to get into to a commitment? Or is it just, I mean, what is that? Because it feels like 
commitment is something that I'm looking at in my own life. I can commit to certain things and not others. And I look at, I have to look at where that fear is in order to figure out what I want to go towards. Yeah. I think under all of that is risk assessment. And if you've had trauma in your past, you truly believe that the world's not a safe place. How can you commit to another person that's not predictable if the world isn't a safe place? And so it's really about working with our beliefs, whether, yes, you may have had trauma. Is it true that the world is still not a safe place? Who you were when you were five or eight, you had very minimal resources. Who you are today, whatever age you are, you have a lot of resources, strategies, the ability to say no, to walk away, to go move into another house. So many things that you couldn't as a child. So it's about reframing that the belief, but also people who've had trauma or have had big experiences in their life, their antenna for risk is up all the time in assessing. Did he say something? Did he not say something? Did he look at that girl a little bit too long? Was he too flirty? Did I say something right? Like, how did I show, how did he show up? Should we, maybe I shouldn't. There's this like anxiety that's running all the time that if you're anxious, you're actually not present. You're, you're in the future. You can't be anxious about the past. It's already happened. You can't be present, can't be anxious about the present. There's nothing anxiety provoking. You're only anxious about the future. So if you're anxious, you're not being present with your partner. You're not listening. You're not connecting to yourself and going, that really feels off. I need to address it or I need to get up and leave. So being present is probably one of the, I'm going to give a couple of tips. I think being present is one of the biggest ways to help you gauge, is this person for me or not? Just like you said, Amanda, by having a conversation, I can tell whether this is going to be an easy fit or not, because you're connected to yourself. You know what feels off and on. And the second piece that I would say a tip is in relationship, he is never doing anything to you. He is doing what he is doing due to his trauma and his history and his beliefs. And so if you can get out of personalizing things, it's much easier to repair. He reacted that way and shut down and pulled away and didn't talk to you for a couple of days, not to punish you. Here, I'll give you a good example. One of my clients was 73 years old. She came and talked to me and said to me, her boyfriend didn't talk to her for a week. When they finally talked, she said to him, that's not normal to not talk to me for a week, maybe a day or two fine. And I said, isn't it interesting that you think that not talking to you for a day or two is fine? And she went, oh, another belief that was just unconscious because it's what she grew up with. And so if he shuts down, he's reacting to you, but you're not really, you just happen to be the pawn in this game. It's impacting you. Yes, you need something different, but he's not doing it to you. It's not personal. It's just your own triggers. The two triggers are triggering each other. There is a lot to unpack there. And what you said prior, and I just want to tell the audience, you know, what I'm hearing is that there's some potential for inner child work, you know, that we have as adults, we have more resources and we can soothe the inner child from having that kind of anxiousness or fear-based thinking. And that that in itself is a therapy or a, a work that you can do for, you know, the inner child, or I, I think Margaret Atwood calls it inner bonding. There's different techniques out there for that. And Margaret Iris, um, you can tell us about your solutions and services there too. And then there's also the 
defensiveness, like you said, with he's not doing anything to you, but there may be defensiveness that's coming up and that can get into things like, am I the perpetrator? You know, is he treating me like the perpetrator or am I the victim? You know, that whole victim perpetrator rescuer triangle. There's so many modalities here and we can have multiple podcasts about all these. um, And I hope to have you back. But um, I just thought that we might want to wrap up with some final messages and summarize some of this for everybody and then talk specifically about your current offerings because I want people, if they're getting something out of this, to continue this work, you know, continue learning from you, Iris. So what can you tell us about just any final remarks or, or ideas or thoughts? I think for me, for the people listening, is to really, like, my wish for you is to really get to know who you are at the core. What are the gifts that you bring to relationship and really own your value because it means both with romantic relationship, with work relationships, with your neighbors, you're not going to suppress what you need or crunch yourself down or tell yourself, just deal with it. That's all you deserve. When you truly get your value, you show up very different in a relationship. You're able to find your words and set boundaries. So if that's the only thing you take away from today, do the work to really get who you are and what you bring to relationship. And the way that you can start with that is if I ask my sister, what would she say is great about me? If I ask my employer, if I ask my child, if I ask my neighbor, And then you start to get to know yourself through other people's eyes, especially if there's repeated patterns. It's like, oh, all three people thought I was loyal. Okay, I didn't think about myself as loyal all this time, but maybe there's some validity to that. And it really helps us shift how we see ourselves. Love that tip. And I actually gave a friend that recently because she was saying that she was feeling kind of thirsty for the compliments, but partially it was because she just didn't she was trying to get to know herself and by going out to the people that love you that think the best of you they can be somewhat of mirrors for you while you're trying to look for you know shape your own vision of yourself but to be careful too i you know i want to say be discerning because at the end of the day it is really about you and what you think of yourself and how you want to show up and if you're not entirely there yet then that's where the goals are you know what you want to cultivate to next level you know to go to the next level which is what this show is actually all about we're always working to next level people right amanda we are we always are but iris you didn't tell us where people can find you where can people find you if they want to find you online social media There's a couple ways. One, my website is foreverlovecoaching.com. You'll find a lot of information on there. And if am I, may I share my offering now? Of course. Really? So what we are just releasing now is called midlifedatingessentials.com. So it's for anyone who's come out of a marriage, come out of a long-term relationship and goes, what do I do now? Like, I don't know how to date. I don't even know how to write an online profile. I never had to do that before. Who pays? What do women expect? What do men expect? You know, when when should we have sex? You know, how do I deal with differences? So we have three streams right now for people who haven't started dating. They're just getting started and they want to know. The second stream is for people who are out there dating and really want to get a lot clearer about how to do this successfully. And the third stream is for people that are in a committed relationship and learning all the skills that they need to be able to make that relationship thrive. And every week we release two more videos so that you're continuing to get more training, 
We're going to add more streams to it. So lots of stuff. You can go to midlifedatingessentials.com, look it up. There's, it's a, it's a small fee for monthly. You can do it for six months where you get uh, an extra month for free. And there's no, no contract. There's no, you don't have to stay any longer than you want to. So you come in, you find value. Great. Once you're done, you've got everything that you need and you're out there thriving. I would love to hear from you and hear a success story. I love that. MidlifeDatingEssentials.com, everyone. Yeah, and um, what is going on with your individual or group coaching services on ForeverLoveCoaching.com? Is that something, are you available for one-on-one? What, what's going on? So if you go to my website, you'll also find a place to set up an appointment for me. If it's something that you're considering doing some one-on-one work, what I do at the beginning is I do a free assessment. I get a sense of where you're at. My zone of brilliance is to hear your dating history your childhood, and I'll feed back to you exactly what's getting in the way and what you need to work on. And then after that, if we feel that that we're meshing together, I will make an offer to work together. And if you want to, I'll be thrilled to to accompany you on this journey to find the, the partner of your dreams. Well, everybody, I want you to know that I fell in love with Iris. I <laughs> actually, at that time, I think I signed a year-long contract to work with you. It changed my life. I'm I'm a big personal testimonial for Iris, and we've found ways to continue to work together and support each other all these years. And so I definitely um, invite you to go to foreverlovecoaching.com to see if it might be a fit to work with Iris individually. I'm shocked and amazed that you even have openings because you're so sought after, and maybe maybe <laughs> you're selected too. So you guys get in there and get get your appointments made. And then also uh, midlifedatingessentials.com. I'm definitely signing up for that. And lastly, I don't want to forget about your book. You know, if you guys want to go to Amazon and just grab her best-selling book, it's called Lonely and Single to Loved and Adored. And that one, maybe you'll you'll be lucky enough to get a sign by her one day because it's a classic. <laughs> thank you. I have so enjoyed this. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a much. pleasure. Thank you it's so been much. It's a pleasure having you here. Thank you. Thank you.